So hello everybody and welcome to the next uh, in our series of podcasts with Dr. Dorian Dugmore. And in this podcast, we're going to be talking about a very topical subject and that is mental health and well-being. And of course, our media has been uh, particularly focused on this subject for the last weeks as more and more people have struggled with the added stress of uh, lockdown under the coronavirus and having to homeschool and work at the same time. So Dorian, you couldn't be in a better place here to give us some uh, some help and some tips. So Dorian, welcome to our next podcast. Nice to have you on the line today. Thanks very much, Bob. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. So let's talk about mental well-being and stress. As I said, a topic that's receiving lots and lots of uh, attention. Um, Tell us a little bit about your take on this, uh, Dorian. Well, it's a really, really vital uh, topic, as you've said, Bob. Um, some key factors surrounding uh, mental health, well-being, and stress. Um, the, the brain, for example, begins to start to age, believe it or not, at 40. Uh, Dr. Michael Gray, who's a specialist on sport concussion and the aging brain, um, says that over decades beyond 30, your processing speed of information starts to slow down. And by the time you're, you're 75, it takes you twice as long to, to process information compared to when you're in your, in your 30s. And as you say, with the current uh, scenario with, with the coronavirus, uh, adding the stress of all of that and trying to sustain high performance in uh, an ever-changing period of time, it's a perfect storm, really. Um, and it can cause us uh, problems. For sure, I mean, constant stress uh, has the same effect on the nerves and the neurons in the brain um, as the aging brain. You get brain cell degeneration um, if you're constantly uh, stressed. So what will that do? Well, that will impair your memory um, and poignantly it, it can reduce your emotional control uh, make a real difference um, and so it's a, a little bit Bob like like receiving an email that's really cheesed you off and uh, without you thinking twice you respond in a very angry way and then 10 seconds later you think wish I'd have done that <laughs> and we've all been there we've all done that but that that's a typical uh, scenario around you know a quick response and the villain for that piece um, is uh, a thing called the amygdala. Uh, that's uh, well known as the chimp in your brain. There's a book written by uh, Stephen Peters called The Chimp Paradox, um, where you know it's cited that your amygdala, your chimp, uh, the fear center of your brain, your midbrain, actually reacts 200 times more quickly to something that stressed you, to fear, to crisis, than the the cortex, which is the higher centers of your brain, that is the area where, you know, you've got uh, decisional balance and you look at things in a far more logical way. So let, let's sort of take an example of that. A dog's running towards you. Um, you know, your cortex will look at the dog and say, what type of dog is it? Is it a friendly dog? Is it showing its teeth because it's happy to see me or is it going to bite me? Um, is it the sort of dog that you've had experience with before? And you compute all those messages. Unfortunately, when you are a six-year-old, you are bitten on the backside by a dog. And the first thing you do when that dog runs towards you is engage the amygdala, the chimp, and assume the dog's going to bite you. 
and all of the sort of stress hormones start to uh, get released into your body and you get a very rapid sort of frightening reaction that probably isn't sort of necessary and things that you notice in everyday life like your heart rate speeds up your blood pressure increases you start to produce um, different rhythms in your heart that in extreme cases not normally but in extreme cases could be life-threatening you can even flood cholesterol into your bloodstream you might remember, Bob, a few years ago, I did a, a TV piece with Sam Allardyce and Dave Bassett when they were managing... I do remember that. It was fascinating, actually. Yeah, well, that was quite interesting. And when we looked at their results, they produced significant arrhythmias, their rogue beats in their, in their heart's performance, and their bloods turned milky. And the milkiness was the cholesterol produced by the stress of having four or five players sent off and it was a relegation battle, and it was quite amazing, really, the, the, the responses of that. So those are some of the things that can happen to you when you, you're very, very stressed. And nice. the real problem, Bob, is you can become switched on almost permanently like that. So for the, for the benefit of the, the newer people listening to our podcast today, that was an event that you spoke at, and you had literally had a video recording. It was a football game. Um, two, not, not even the players, but two managers on the touchline managing their respective teams and you had wired them up so that you could uh, listen to stuff and then you tested their bloods afterwards. That's correct, isn't it, Dorian? Yeah. That's exactly what happened and it was quite fascinating because uh, the stress and pressure of winning at, uh, uh, at an important cost overrided, overrun their ability to look after their heart and their well-being, to be perfectly honest. And of course, both of them down the line um, had some more serious cardiovascular issues. And so we all need to be aware of that. So when we talk about awareness, what are the main, I mean, obviously at any one time, I guess we can all be stressed for a a random reason um, that just comes into our life. You mentioned earlier on, uh, you know, uh, an email or something like that. But um, there's also though some well-known causes of stress, aren't there, on the body? Yeah, I mean there are a number of well-known causes. Naturally, uh, w- worry, um, control is a big thing. Loss of control. If you're ever in a situation where you can't manage outcomes, then that's going to create the sort of body chemistries we've just talked about. Um, there's a very famous scale. It's been out for a number of years called the Holmes and Ra scale. And it says that you can almost um, measure the likelihood of having real stress responses by big events in your life. So, you know, a divorce, moving house, actually going on holiday is a, is a, is a good one. And these big events, when they culminate and come together, can cause you major problems in terms of your health and well-being. But actually, there's another researcher from uh, Berkeley in California, the university, that says that the ones that you really need to worry about are the everyday stresses, you know, money worries, mortgages, uh, family illness, um, bereavement of th- and things you have to do around that. Everything that comes as part and parcel of your everyday life, add them all together and they can cause you uh, major problems. Um, in fact, um, Dr. Chatterjee has written a book on, on stress and lifestyle. Uh, he calls them micro stress doses. 
lots of little things throughout the day that can uh, cause, you, cause you problems. And the chemistry of those really is quite dramatic. You start to produce more adrenaline in your body. That sort of prepares you for fight or flight. That hormone is quite dangerous at times, although we all need it in certain occasions. You start to produce a thing called cortisol. And cortisol has an anti-inflammatory effect. It actually, over an extended period of time, can actually reduce a part of your white blood cells called your T lymphocytes. Basically, they fight off infection. And so when you are constantly stressed, you produce more cortisol. So typical scenario in the sort of corporate world is somebody's going on holiday in three or four weeks. They make sure the desk is clear in preparation for that. They work overextended hours. They push themselves hard. Uh, so they get ready for the holiday. What happens to them on the first two or three days of the holiday? They get sick. Yeah. Because their, their, their white blood cells uh, aren't functioning as effectively. They can't fight off, you know, the viruses and infections very often get caught on airplanes and they become sick. And that's a, a classic. And that's that sympathetic branch of your nervous system that puts you on, uh, on overdrive. It'd be, I think, very interesting. You, you mean you referenced there that one of the causes of stress is this lack of control and, you know, feeling like we're not owning our own life or our future. be really interesting to see some of the research over time as to how being in lockdown for several weeks uh, with a pandemic has actually uh, affected mental well-being because I think that lack of control is something we've all felt and that vulnerability in the last weeks. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bob. And I mean, you know, so social isolation um, is a big, big factor in all of this. You know, for those of us lucky enough to have, you know, nice houses, big gardens, you know, we can get out in the fresh air. And, and we know, I mean, some of the latest research on COVID-19 has said that you're less likely to catch it in the fresh air than yeah. you are when you're stuck in a very confined space. Well, imagine living in a one-room apartment where you haven't been out for three months. Uh, the stress and strain of that is is, is very considerable. Terrible. So um, what's the antidote then? What can we do to try and alleviate stress or even improve our ability to cope or, or even perhaps become more aware of some of the signs that we recognise that, oh, I'm feeling stress? What, what's, what would be your advice on that? Uh, that? You make a very good point there, Bob. Everybody if they take some time out to focus on it, knows what their own stress markers are. You know, it might be when you're really stressed, you feel your heart palpitations happening. It might be that you don't sleep as well. It might be that you get a little rash at the side of your nose. You know, it might be that your temperature rises and there's all sorts of signs and symptoms that if we actually take time out to listen to our bodies, then our bodies will give us natural warnings and so my first tip for the antidote bob would be actually to notice and listen to your body my second tip um there would be i think the heart math institute in california call it freeze frame and that's to press an imaginary pause button a bit like putting your car into neutral and so you're just freewheeling for a few moments and then you start to practice uh, relaxed breathing. So you breathe in more deeply than you would normally breathe in, probably to a count of five or six or a little bit more. 
and you breathe out in a more extended way. And that is called vasovagal breathing. And what it does is it engages a nerve in the center of your thorax called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve um, connects through the heart to the brain, through the good part of the brain, and puts us on a relaxed high. But the most dramatic thing it does, it switches you away from that sympathetic adrenaline cortisol drive to the endorphin type drive. You know, the producing things like the oxytocin, the love chemical, DHEA, the anti-aging uh, uh, biochemical in your body, uh, serotonin, the brain connector. And it puts you onto this relaxed high. And that is a tremendous way to really deal with some of the stresses and create that antidote. Jim Lear, in his book, The Corporate Athlete, says that every executive leader, person working in the corporate world, every 90 minutes should take just two to three minutes out where they practice vasovagal breathing. And it will just switch you into a more relaxed mode. It sounds a little bit to me as a layperson, uh, similar to some of the techniques that you're taught when you do a meditation, for example. The start of that is often around a breathing exercise, isn't it? Do you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Yoga, Tai Chi, uh, anything like that, listening to relaxing uh, music, listening to inspiring uh, podcasts. Uh, you can use some of the apps that are out there now. Uh, there's one very good one called Calm. Another one is called Headspace. All of those are useful to develop this antidote to, uh, to, 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 to the stress and uh, you know, the, the improving your mental well-being. Sean Accor did some fascinating work back in 2012 where he was published in the Harvard Business Review January, February 2012, because that's when Lehman Brothers went down the tube, when yeah. all the big banks were in trouble, the financial houses were in trouble. And he was brought in to a lot of big businesses and financial institutions and asked if he could create a positive culture in those institutions, given that everybody was in threat of losing their jobs. And he came up with five simple things. The first one was start your day with three gratitudes. Three things you're grateful for. It might be it's a beautiful day and it's a blue sky and you just feel in a very positive mood. Might be a hug from a loved one. It might be getting in the car that you've saved up for and you're going to enjoy. Just start your day. But then he said, actually take one of them and write it down for no longer than two minutes. So it's short and sharp. But the sheer action of committing either pen to paper or making a note on your computer solidifies you going into that positive mood and helps produce those endorphins. The third one, he said, was exactly what you said earlier, Bob. Take some time to practice, to meditate, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, several times throughout the day, but particularly when you get up in the morning for 10 minutes and before you go to bed for 10 minutes is fourth one which we're going to talk about i think on our next podcast is actually to know your numbers to know your key health markers that will put you in an educated position just like you'd look at the profit and loss of your business 
Look at the profit and loss of your health and your well-being. So know your key numbers, your cardiac and cancer risk, your obesity risk, your diabetic risk. Very simple to get done and actually vital. And his very final one I really like. It was called Every Day Practice Three Random Acts of Kindness. Three yeah. things you do for somebody else. Opening a door for somebody. Uh, you know, smiling to the receptionist and saying, wow, you're the front of our business and you're always happy, you're always smiling. And people don't get any further if you're not a happy camper. So three simple random acts of kindness, things you can do for somebody else that can make a real difference. And I think those are a superb tapestry for guiding people to look after their mental health and well-being. Yeah, I think, you know, this is about, you know, we spend, I think most of us are aware of the things that we need to do to stay physically in the best shape we can. But I, I wonder, you know, myself including this, how much time over the years I've actually spent working on my mental health, probably not as much as I should have done. I mean, in, in terms of reading positive material to get, you know, positive mental attitude, yes, but awareness, maybe, maybe not. And uh, that's something that uh, I think all of us probably need to just become a bit better at, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And you know, what people don't realize, Bob, is that, you know, the male now, providing they can avoid things like heart disease and cancer and diabetes, stands a very good chance of living till their mid 80s. Yeah. And the female, even longer. Now, when you think about it, that means that probably a third of your life, you, you want to be in a good quality of health, good mental well being, good physical well being as well, so that you can enjoy those halcyon years that you've worked for. And if you're going to end up in that final third with a multiplicity of ill health um, challenges, then you're not doing justice to yourself. And so taking stock, doing the things we've talked about in this podcast can make a massive difference, really. And those halcyon years, you're then going to really, really enjoy. And we all think they're a million you know, years away. <laughs> they're not. I wish, I wish. Oh, so do I, so do I. <laughs> you hear lots of people saying, you know, this isn't a dress rehearsal, you know, this is the only one life you've got, so make the most of it. And I think, unfortunately, we're all very good at putting off to tomorrow what we should be doing today. I think that's the answer there. Well, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. And uh, I think I've cited before, you know, Mickey Mantle, the famous baseball player in America, said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care, care of myself. Absolutely true. And I haven't heard too many people, you know, on their epitaph, on their gravestone, saying, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. No, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Dorian, it's been fascinating as ever talking to you today. Thanks so much for your great tips on uh, mental health and uh, well-being. I'm sure we're all better prepared now. All we need to do now is, you know, do some of those things enough times that they become part of our daily routine, part of our daily habits. And uh, that way we will truly be looking after ourselves. Great. Bob, it's been a pleasure as always speaking with you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Dorian. Bye. Bye for now.